Hey, before we can uh, dive in this morning, I've got a confession that I need to make to you all in, in all honesty. Uh, as your pastor, uh, a highly respected leader, a revered man of the cloth, uh, I hung up some Christmas lights before Thanksgiving this year and felt like I needed to, to lay that before you. I know it's disappointing. Trust me, I'm as hurt by this as you are, okay? I, like you, land firmly on the side of turkey, then trees. You know, you, you can't get Christmas before you have Thanksgiving. And uh, in fairness, we had an abnormally warm couple of days in November. And so I took advantage of the opportunity and got on my roof and I hung some lights when it was hot. And I also brought my son into that sin with me. He's finally to the age now where he can hang some lights. So uh, probably not this year, but it's going to be a little soon, you know, 2020, 2021. We won't have to be having this conversation. I won't have to have this time of confession because I won't care what the weather is like. It could be 30 below and blowing snow. The boy's going to be hanging the lights. You know, I, I put in my time. And so uh, just to be clear, no other decorations came out. I did not physically turn any lights on, but I did get them up a little early. Felt like I should lay that before you. So I could be forgiven and healed. I let the elders know already on Thursday. They felt like I could still preach. And so here, here I am. Uh, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Meet me in Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to be spending some time this morning. We're starting a brand new series of messages this week. You picked a great week to come to church. The series is called Christmas Cheer. And the reason we're going to spend three weeks on this topic, and if you'll come to Christmas Eve service, be here the next three Sundays, come to Christmas Eve service, we're actually going to have four messages on Christmas cheer. And the reason I think it's important for us to talk about this is because I don't know what your experience has been, but as I look around uh, at this kind of season, cheer and joy and happiness are not always words that I would use to describe it. Uh, anybody go Black Friday shopping this year? Show of hands. Uh, yeah, your, uh, the reason they call it Black Friday is because that's the color your soul has to be in order to go out and just park your vehicle on that day. It's absurd. I googled 2019 Black Friday incidents. My top three results, shooting in Syracuse, New York, stabbing in New Jersey, and a naked dude out of Coles in Virginia. Okay, so uh, in fairness, that guy might have just been looking for some clothes. I mean, I don't know how he's going to pay for it necessarily, but uh, melees like these have become our new normal. People fighting and yelling and burning down Christmas trees. I read a story a couple years ago about a wife who became enraged at her husband, stabbed him with a Christmas ornament. Like, what? I mean... That's very resourceful, but I mean, what in the... That's what we've come to. Y'all remember uh, Tiggle Me Elmo? It came out a few years ago. Dude's getting shanked in alleys over a Sesame Street doll. Uh, I did read about a, a fairly interesting entrepreneur. Bought the, the doll for $27. 
turned around and sold it for $5,000. Who pays that for an Elmo? Somebody outside my tax bracket. But we get all of these stories bombarding us at Christmas. And then we get our Christmas card. And what's it say? Peace on earth. Joy to the world. And it's like, well, which is it? You know, happy holidays or hire a hitman. Uh, that's what we've got. That's what we've got to try and discern. And now, I know what the Bible says in Luke two ten. An angel shows up and says to some shepherds in the field, "I bring you good news of great joy, and it's going to be for all people." So I know the Bible says that, and I know the very words of Jesus in John fifteen eleven, where he says that I tell you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. And not only that, your joy is going to overflow out of you because you know who I am. Now you can maybe understand my confusion. Because we've got God telling us this time of year is about great joy for all people. And then he's telling us that we're going to have overflowing joy in God's people. And then we look around and we've got depression and anxiety and murder and impeachment, and war, and divorce, human trafficking, virus. I mean, the list could go on and on. So for me, it begs the question, what gives? Because I think most people want what God wants. Most people want peace on earth and joy overflowing, and they're just not sure how to get it. And as they look at the world around them and culture around them, they're not getting a lot of help there either. Enter me Hence this series, Christmas Cheer. This morning I want to preach to you a message called, You Can't Spell Joy Without Peace. Somebody tell your neighbor, I hope he preaches better than he spells. Because you can 100% spell joy without peace. I should have titled, You Can't Have Joy Without Peace. Uh, because there's not even a letter in joy that is in peace, but that wouldn't have got your guys' attention, so I titled it the way I titled it, and you can deal with that. But uh, there are some Christmas stories that I want us to look, well, the Christmas story, not the Christmas story that I want us to look at over the next couple weeks, and we're going to take a different character within the story each week, and we're going to see how cheer and joy and peace and all those things Uh, applied to their lives, and we're going to see if there's anything that we can glean out of those stories so that this year, 2019, can be the best Christmas yet. I believe it can. And in all seriousness, I know there are some things in this room, just as I'm looking out, some difficult things. Maybe it might be your first Christmas without a loved one. Uh, Maybe it might be your first Christmas after the diagnosis. You know, maybe it's the the first Christmas where you got to go two different houses for Christmas. I, I know all of those things are happening just in this room, but I still believe this can be your best Christmas to date. I think if you'll commit to being here and, and really diving into this stuff with me, uh, I think you can find Christmas cheer again even this year. So you're in Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick it up right in verse 1. And it says, At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, Caesar Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Caesar wants his money from taxes. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. 
And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who is now expecting a child. How would you all like it if you couldn't e-file taxes this year? You got to make the trip to Washington, D.C. to report the income. And you got to take your pregnant wife, girlfriend, whatever, with you. That's essentially what's going on. And while they're there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Bethlehem's not a big town, not a bunch of hotels for them to stay in. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, as you would be, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, the Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven, didn't even know they had those, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. See this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for everything that you have told us within it. We're asking you now to do what only you can do and speak to us. Fill this place right now with your presence. Give us insight to how this uh, story and your words can apply to our lives today. God, we uh, found ourselves in the unique situation again where we're begging and pleading with you for some snow on Christmas, not just little flakes, God, cover the ground with some white, heavy snowman building, snow fight having snow, and we all believed it in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all need some snow on Christmas, man. Come on. That's what we're begging God for. Uh, as best I can tell, every year, Melody Howell, who at the time of this story that I was reading was living in South Carolina. It's a few years old. But Melody Howell, she tries every year to beat the number of Christmas trees that she set up in her home each year. So the highest number she has attained to date is 52. 52 trees. Now, here's the kicker, because you might be thinking to yourself, I ain't that many. I got 52 trees right now. I set up 58 trees in my house. Well, the stipulation here is they all have to be live, trimmed, fully decorated trees. And the reporter who was writing the story said they're not just decorated. They're decorated to the hilt. And so every room in every corner, including the laundry room, there is a tree. Melody even has a strategically placed tree in her bathtub. She says she starts trimming trees November 1st so that she can be done by December 15, decorating and trimming all of the trees. And when asked the obvious question, uh, why would you... <laughs> she said... I'm trying to have the most Christmas spirit 
that I can. Now I find that interesting. Christmas spirit. That's what Melody was looking for. We people we hear people talk about it. I'm guessing on some level we too also would want it. Christmas spirit. That sounds very intriguing on some level, but I would argue Christmas spirit has nothing to do with the number of trees you have, nor does it have anything to do with what's under your tree. Now don't get me wrong, Christmas spirit does have to do with a tree, the OG Christmas tree, the Christmas tree that Jesus hung on for my sins when he died, you know, 33 years after coming on a rescue mission to reunite us back to God. Come on, somebody. Christmas does have to do with a tree, but that would be a frightening decoration. Nobody's driving through the, uh, you know, neighborhoods wanting to see that in somebody's yard. Oh, look, a bloody guy hanging on a tree. Uh, uh, kids are like, I hope it's not, is it Santa? Because that would be terrible. But Santa's saying, it's not Santa, kids, don't worry. But really, that's the spirit of Christmas, is it not? For God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus to be born to a virgin who would grow up and die and live a perfect death for my sin and your sin. And he would raise from the dead, thereby conquering both sin and death. And in turn, we could have eternal life with him. Obviously, it's much easier to hang the lights and, you know, do the stockings and the tree and the ornaments and the hot cocoa from Williams-Sonoma. Come on, you know, with a peppermint candy cane, your favorite one, you stir it up. And, mm, yum, this is good. It's Christmas time. That's what that all it is. That's what's my point. Most people are looking for peace in the wrong place. See, everybody wants it. We talk about Christmas spirit and joy and cheer, and few people have it. I think it comes down to three main lies that people believe for which uh, peace is so elusive in our lives. The reason Christmas cheer and joy and peace and all that it's hard to find is because people believe it can be found somewhere else. Uh, Christmas joy and cheer and all, it's out there somewhere, somewhere I'm currently not, And so if I can just get away, if I can just get out of this town, then I will find the Christmas spirit, Christmas joy. It's found at the beach. All of those people look happy on the postcard. I've just got to get to the beach and the ocean, and then there's going to be Christmas cheer. Christmas joy. Mama just needs five minutes. Okay, get these kids out of my... Christmas cheer is in my bathtub with my essential oils and my book and maybe a glass of wine, and if I could just have that, then Christmas joy is in the snow. We cannot have Christmas without snow and a fireplace burning, and this is what Christmas is all about. But then we get all those things, and then we realize, well, it's not actually any better. So peace isn't somewhere else. It must be found with someone else. Hey, somewhere, it's got to be found with some one. That's lie number two. Silly me. It's not out there. It's here just with somebody else. So I need a new girlfriend. I need a new boyfriend. God help us, I need a new spouse. In case you're wondering, nerds have run the numbers, and they've discovered two weeks before Christmas, that's the date, the number one time people get dumped 14 days before the holidays. By my calculations, that's this week. And if you're in a dating relationship, good luck. I hope you made it. 
I hope you made the cut and or kept the receipt for the president because you're going to have to take that thing back because you might be getting... And the truth of the matter is, even if you find a new person, their new car smell eventually wears off and joy isn't actually found in people. And so we believe that joy must be found in something else. It ain't somewhere. It's not someone. It's got to be something. I mean, have you seen the 2024 Raptor? I mean, I could find some peace in that compared to my Pontiac Grand Prix with literally a quarter of a million miles on it. The peace is found in any truck at this point. It don't even have to be nice compared to what I'm driving. And I get no payments until spring. Peace is for sure found in no payments until the insurance shows up. And then in spring, when all that back interest comes along with that first payment, I find it any peace any longer. And it's why 15 minutes after opening the presents, the kids are back fighting again. And it's why even if Santa does bring you the iPhone 11 Pro, uh, you find out that it makes calls just like your iPhone 10 did. And nobody's going to see it when it's in your pocket the whole time. And so then you got to pull it out and randomly like look at it and take pictures with one of your three cameras why you need three cameras? Nobody knows. This is just a marketing ploy for Instagram. They're like, hey, you take three pictures and post them all online. Now, yay, more likes. And so it's all lies. Somewhere, someone, something, the problem is, even if you get all of those things, because of sin, they're all still broken. And wherever you go, and whoever you're with, and whatever you got, It ain't ever going to satisfy that longing you've got in your soul. So write this down if you're taking notes. God's joy, like God's peace, has more to do with your character than it does your circumstances. You want joy this year? You want peace? You want to find Christmas cheer? It has way more to do with your character than it does your circumstances. You want the Christmas spirit? Our girl Melody was trying to find in her trees. You want this to be the best? Christmas ever. It's got to do with your soul, not your stuff. And I think we see that best with our passage here in Luke with the shepherds. That's the character I want us to look at today. don't know if you've thought about this before, but anytime you read your Bible, you should always ask the question, why? Why did this make the cut? And one of the questions that I want you to think about as you read this Luke passage in this Christmas story is why the shepherds? Why, when God wants to announce to the world that the long-awaited, long-ago prophesied, thousands of years long-expected Savior of the world. He's entered into human history, the man who literally split our calendars from B.C. into A.D. How come the most influential man, the most prolific prophet the world has ever known? How come when God wants to announce that he hasn't been born, he sends angels to shepherds? This is the Roman Empire. This is the most vast, expanse empire in the history of the world. They've acquired more landmass than anybody else ever. How come God ain't, ain't talking to Caesar Augustus? Why is God not sending angels to the Senate? 
or at minimum, why is God not announcing the birth of the Messiah, who the Jewish people have been waiting for for thousands of years? Why doesn't he go to some sort of influential prophet who would have, or influential Jewish rabbi, excuse me, who would have some sort of credibility with what it was they're looking for in a Savior? Here's what you need to know about shepherds. Shepherds are not known as bastions of holiness. Shepherds were weird. Shepherds lived outside of town, by themselves, sleeping in the open with their animals. That's creepy. Okay? It's the first camping we have in the Bible. It's not good, okay? And, 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 and when you graduate from college... Shepherd is not the job you hope for. Shepherd is the job you end up with. You know, hate to be the bearer of bad news. If you played a shepherd in the Christmas play, you got the worst part. Shepherds are just the worst. And even if you're Jewish shepherd, people don't like you. Think about that. You're responsible for the most important sacrificial animal alive and your own people don't even appreciate you. Why? Because it's not like you can just abandon your flock in the middle of the day and go to temple and go to Sabbath and make sacrifices and worship and go to feasts. So therefore you're not able to maintain religious devotion as the rest of God's people do. And you're considered unclean. And because you can't sacrifice these animals and have your sin atoned for, you're worse than unclean. You're a sinner. You're on par with hookers and tax collectors. You're the lowest of the low. Furthermore, uh, some people say many shepherds were crooks and thieves. They knew that you had to have their sheep in order to make a sacrifice. Uh, They weren't dumb, so they'd jack up the price on you. People so mistrusted what shepherds would say, shepherds aren't even allowed to testify in court. You can be an eyewitness to a crime, and they're going to say you cannot say anything or speak up at all. Uh, it's probably in uh, the, there's some truth to these suspicions. You know, these men living out, don't know how much time you spent in a locker room, but it's not a haven for righteousness. Uh, The field probably isn't either. These men are not staying up late at the campfire discussing the Jewish Torah and law and the prophets. They're doing all kinds of who knows what else. So to be clear, when an angel shows up, that's surprising. If you're going to make up a story, you're not going to include that. Okay, so when Luke is being paid by O oh, great Theophilus to record and write an orderly account of this Jesus who walked on the earth, when Luke is being paid to come up and interview all of these eyewitnesses and find out the story of Jesus and he finds these shepherds and they're like, oh yeah, this alien from outer space showed up and started talking to us. Uh, you're thinking, well, of course that happened. You know, well, what kind of grass are you into again, shepherds? Because this does not mean, you know. Uh, And even if you include the part about the angel, you're certainly not going to say that the angel showed up to a bunch of shepherds. Nobody talks to shepherds. Nobody likes the shepherds. You can't trust the shepherds. And so if you want your story to to be believed and to line up with the one story that God is trying to tell for thousands of years, you're not going to write about the angels. You're not going to write about the shepherds. And yet Luke does. Because it happened. 
which is how it always happens, isn't it? God takes the lowly. God takes the uh, things that the people think are worthless. The people that God, that people think are worthless. He, God works with them for his glory and for his good and for his grace. Moses was a shepherd shortly before he rescued millions of people out of slavery in Egypt. David was a shepherd before he became king, before he slew the giant Goliath. In fact, he said being a shepherd helped prepare me in order to, to play out my purpose of killing Goliath. In addition, the, the prophet Amos, if you read about him, he says, why would you want me to preach? I'm just a shepherd. Even Jesus calls himself the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. And so God takes this really unpopular, insignificant profession and redeems it for his glory. And he shows that he is humble and willing to look after us, his sheep, which just for the record, the sheep are not the most brilliant of animals. Sheep are not high up on the scientific food chain in terms of intellectual studies. And yet what I find interesting is the Bible says that we're like sheep. We've all been wandering and vulnerable and not real sharp. And nobody is ever threatened by a sheep. And some of you would say, oh, I'm very smart and very proficient. For a sheep you are. That's not saying very much. You know, so I wouldn't want to brag about that uh, in accordance. And just like a shepherd tends to his sheep and is devoted to his sheep and is willing to lay down his life for his sheep, so Jesus comes as the good shepherd and this announcement is made to other shepherds that Jesus has in fact come. That God has become a man. And the angels report this and there's rejoicing and millions of other angels show up and start singing glory to God in the highest. And the shepherds say, we need to go check this thing out. And so they make the journey a mile, maybe two, could be more, depending where their field is at. And they began scouring the town and trying to figure out this son that's laid in a manger. Where is he? They begin asking questions. Probably took hours for them to get from where they were to where the manger is. And nobody's going to help them because there's a bunch of shepherds and they're trying to figure it all out for themselves. And eventually they find Jesus. And when the shepherds show up, Mary's not like, oh, good, it's the shepherds. You want to hold my baby? That's not Mary's response. She's like, Joseph, get these bums out of it. Who are these guys? They can't come in here. And the reason I want you thinking about this is because we tend to clean up what was otherwise a very scandalous situation. We all have in our homes the beautifully decorated, you've seen them in the store, the nativity scenes with the shepherds all standing there and the sheep on their shoulders and Joseph standing all proud and Mary kneeling down in front of the manger and don't know how your childbirth experience went, but Laura was a little worse for the wear after pumping a human being from her body and she was not adorned in some sort of magnificent dress laying before the thing with the in the light and the heating and all and like 
But this is what we all see every single time at Christmas. That's beautiful and peaceful and serene. And that's not at all how it was. It was dirty and stinky. And you're in a cave where people had animals before you. And you got them in a feeding trough. And these nasty shepherds show up. And these brothers are out in the field. And the angels are like, hey, you got to see it. And they're like, all right, let's go. I haven't showered in three weeks. But it's fine. We'll sanitize before we get there. And... Uh, they're probably like, uh, what do we do with the sheep? And the angels are, oh, we'll take care of that. But that's not actually what happened because the Bible tells us, you know, we're armies of angels. We don't do sheep. And so they go back into heaven. They're like, well, let's just leave the sheep. And then we go find Jesus and new men, after encountering the Savior, went back to their same old jobs. After seeing the Savior of the world, which is important for you because that's exactly where God wants to break through in your life right where you least expect it. Right when you least expect it. Nobody was out in the fields thinking that the Savior of the world is going to be born tonight. I could have taken you all the way back to Genesis 3.15. Thousands of years before all of this happens and sin enters into the world and God is doling out the punishment for sin and he gets to the accuser the tempter, the serpent, Satan. And he says, I will put hostility. I will put enmity between you and the offspring of the woman. And that original word offspring is the word seed. And this is actually a prophecy for a virgin birth. Because don't know what you know about the birds and the bees, but the woman isn't the one who contributes the seed, is she? That's the man's job. That's sex ed 101. Shout out Chuck both Gospel High School. He taught me that. It ain't the seed. And so uh, the, the God says the Savior is going to come from this woman, from her offspring, and he is going to crush your head. And yeah, you're going to strike and you're going to bruise his heel, but that ain't the end of this story. And, and they, uh, God says that throughout the coming hundreds of years through different prophets, through different writings, we get a different glimpse every year. How are we going to recognize this, this man who does what to snakes, what snake done, you know, needs to be done to snakes? How are we going to recognize the, the one who's going to crush this serpent's head? And he said, oh, he's going to come from Abraham. And, and after Abraham, oh, he's going to come from a guy named Jacob. We're going to change his name to Israel. So you're, you're going to need to look for the tribe of Israel. And it's going to come from one of his 12 sons, the tribe of Judah, very good. It wasn't a true question. Tribe of Judah, you're going you're gonna to recognize him come from uh, that line, and he's going to be born in Bethlehem, but then he's going to have to leave. There's actually going to be three towns. Think about that. How do we get three towns to line up? Oh, we need to have a, a census in Bethlehem. Then we've got to send him to Egypt to fulfill prophecy, because out of Egypt, he's going to... And then he's going to live in Nazareth. I could have given you dozens of different prophecies that we get throughout the years that you're going to recognize the Savior of the world, and yet nobody recognizes him, and God breaks through the clouds unexpectedly to a bunch of unexpected people, the shepherds. See, the other thing we learn from the shepherds and what they're trying to teach us and how you can find joy this Christmas is it's not enough to hear about Jesus. You have to go see him with your own eyes. That's the story of Christmas. That's what the shepherds did. They could have sat there and said, oh, that's cool. He's been born. But it wasn't enough to hear. They had to go and 
see. God met them right where they were, as He will with you. And He took them from where they were to where they needed to be, as He will with you. And He brought them to Jesus, as He did with you today in this very moment. And they left changed, as I hope you will today. Because it's not enough to hear. You must see and experience and change. Many of you have likely heard of Billy Graham, one of the most famous evangelists in all of human history. And he died a couple of years ago. And as I was reading through some of his writings after that, uh, I discovered something very interesting. His son, Franklin Graham, who many of you probably also know because Franklin does a lot of stuff with Samaritan's Purse and giving out Christmas gifts to, to people in need uh, this time of year. But what I discovered is Franklin didn't accept Christ until age 22. So let that sink in. You have the greatest teaching and preaching evangelist in arguably the history of the world as your dad. You've traveled with him to dozens and dozens of uh, these crusades that they have throughout the world. You've seen hundreds of thousands of people get converted and place their faith in Jesus and you think to yourself, not, not for me. Until one day, unexpectedly, God blows up your frame of reference. He reveals himself to you and he says, no, you're no longer a shepherd anymore. You're my child and my delight. And when you have a good understanding of who you are in God's eyes, you won't be attempted, uh, tempted to prove it in somebody else's. Come on. I'm going to say it again because I really want it to sink in. Some of you are doing that thing where you just stare at me and I'm not sure if you actually heard what I said or not. And what I said was, when you have a good understanding of who you are in God's eyes, you won't be tempted to prove it in somebody else's. And is that not the story of American culture Christmas? i got to get this good gift for my kids. I don't want them to be made fun of at school. And when they're asked what they got, I want to be known as the amazing parent. And I want to be the good aunt and uncle. I want to be the favorite one in the family. i got to get something. And I've got to get my gingerbread house nicely photographed up on the face box so I can get some light. And everybody can say how creative I am. I need to prove that I'm worth it. I never had this as a kid. And I'm going to show my parents that this is the thing that they needed to do. And, and we do all of these things to try and show the world around us that we are valuable. And what I'm trying to say is, what are you trying to prove? God's already said you're worth it. It's why he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. God knows who you are. Everything that you've done the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he still says, you're worth it to me. I want to be in a relationship with you. This thing called sin is separating us. I've got to do something to break through that. And so he sends his son Jesus onto the earth to live a perfect life that you didn't have to, to die death that was meant for you because the wages of sin is death. And in response to that, if you just believe, he adopts you into his family. He says, I'm a child of God. Why are you listening to this, what other people say about you? Why do you care about that? Who cares what they think? God put you in his family. He paves his streets in gold. 
Like, what do those people have that, I mean, is there, you know, driveway and gold? It, maybe if then you need to prove something. But until you meet that guy, you know, your family included, you think he's concerned about what, you know, presents you're going to get this year? I'll read you a quote from uh, Robert Farrar Capone to help me kind of frame in everything that we learned this morning. Robert writes, Grace cannot prevail until our lifelong certainty that someone is keeping score has run out of steam and collapsed. Isn't that great? Grace cannot prevail. So you cannot have joy. You cannot have peace. You can have not this Christmas spirit until you realize God's not keeping score on you. Now, certainly he's trying to develop your character because that's what you're going to take with you to heaven, which is why joy is found in your character, not in your circumstances. But he's not up there right now tallying up all the things that you've done wrong. No, he forgave that. Have you accepted it? That's the question before you this morning. And if you have accepted it, is joy overflowing out of your heart because that's why Jesus came? good news of great joy that will be for all people. And if you look at your life and you think to yourself, no, there's not a whole lot of joy in it, might I submit to you, you maybe never accepted or don't fully understand the concept of grace and being adopted into God's family. Because it's the greatest news in the history of the world. When you understand who you are and who God is and he still wants to be in a relationship with you. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, this announcement that was made to the shepherds. As we reflect on that, I want you to understand that you are like the shepherds. You have nothing that you can offer to God. And yet he entrusts to you this message that Jesus has changed my life. And I need to tell as many people as I can about that. It is not enough to hear this good news. You must see Jesus yourself. Guys, we reflect on that idea. I'm asking you again to do what only you can do and fully make yourself known to us right now. Send your spirit in a powerful way. Help us see only you right now. Hear only your words. Speak peace in this room. I don't know how you came in here, what's going on in your life. God's offering you peace and joy. Just rest in that. If you have, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, think to yourself, who have I expressed joy to this week? How, who am I telling Invite them to church with you. Do something to communicate this love that God has for you and for them. Good news of great joy for all people. And if you haven't, I don't want you to leave here today not experiencing the love of Jesus and accepting that in your life and knowing for sure that you'll get to spend an eternity with him. You can just in your own heart say, God, I believe that Jesus came to earth as a baby, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on a cross, 
but rose from the dead. And he beat sin and death. And he's made me new. Thank you for saving me. God, thank you for that free gift of salvation. Again, help us leave this place encouraged, changed, made new. Let us break through unexpectedly this week into somebody else's life. We love you and praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.